Isaiah chapter 9, we will continue um, in our exposition of this prophecy in one of the longest prophet, prophets and his writings. Isaiah 9 verse 8, we'll read into chapter 10 verse 4. We read this whole portion together because it, it forms um, a combination. There will be four times repeated a phrase, a stanza, bringing, in essence, one of the, the heartbeats of this pas- passage. So beginning in verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 9, The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and it hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know. Even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria that say in the pride and stoutness of heart, the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against him and join his enemies together. The Syrians before the Philistines and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head. And the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err. And they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord shall have no joy in their young men. Neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite. And an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. For wickedness burneth as the fire, it shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mourn, mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this... His anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed, to turn aside the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation? And in the desolation which shall come from far, to whom will ye flee for help, and where will ye leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. 
Amen. May God bless the reading and the preaching. The theme that we have before us is to turn the anger of the Lord away. You notice that this was the refrain of this prophecy that God gave um, Isaiah. Four times he repeats this phrase, For all this, with all the judgment that was coming, with all that God did pour before His people, His anger is not turned away, but His hand is stretched out still. Well, let us look at this passage that has this very solemn refrain, looking first at anger and love, seeing the reality of love in light even of God's wrath. And then we will see, secondly, how to have God's anger turned away, because that is the great question, isn't it? If God's anger will not turn away, our question is, can His anger be turned away? And thirdly, how God's anger has turned away. And that, that is what's so precious about God's Word. This, this is the central message of God's Word, that His anger is turned away. And so first, anger and love. And the reason it is important to, to consider anger and love alongside each other is because anger, in, in, a, in a very clear way of explaining, is part of what true love is. It is not an entity of itself. It is actually part of true love. Because the one who loves will be angry in order to protect even the very object of his love. If God were to look at his people and not care that they, that they were full of wickedness and full of sin and he was apathetic to that and indifferent to that, that would mean he did not love. And so it is interesting to understand that that anger is not a whole other department. It is not like anger is an attribute and love is another. Anger is part of what true love is. And we all understand this because we know what it means to be angry when people that we love are being assailed by others in any kind of way. And when we think of the very person, if it is the very person bringing harm to themselves, there will be anger because we don't want that to happen to our loved ones. And that's where we differ from God because in our anger we do end up sinning. And we are angry with the person in a very personal way, often because of it offending us. The righteous anger is when we can look upon this world and be angry because God is offended. Well, having put this together, let's let's walk through this passage. And what we have are two lists. One list will be the reasons for the judgment. And then the other list will be the judgments themselves. And at this point, it's tempting to have a point where we just list the judgments and then a point where we list the reasons. But... If we, if we do this, we won't follow the flow of the passage. And I think it's very important to follow, especially because, see, the, the passage is driving us to do this because of this refrain that comes at all of these intervals. And it's in, emphasizing an element. It is emphasizing, in, in a sense, it is making us have a window into the heart of God. And when He looks upon this world and He sees sin, we need to understand this. He is angry. His wrath is shown forth. And we need to learn this from our God because we also have to have this same kind of anger and yearn for the holiness that pleases Him. So 
We start with the first reason for the judgment. In verse 10, as soon as the introduction is done, that this, this is a message that was sent um, through um, Isaiah to his people Israel. He calls them Jacob. In verse 9 it says, And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. So it's specifically for the northern kingdom. And keep in mind that the northern kingdom, almost 200 years before the southern kingdom, received this very judgment. They were taken captive, and this destruction came upon them. So this is the warning before that were to happen. And right there you see, yes, all of this anger being shown, but see the love, because he is warning. He is warning them about what is to come. Matthew Henry says he warns Warns before he wounds. If he didn't care, he wouldn't wound and he wouldn't warn. He wounds because he cares and he doesn't want sin to be rampant. And yet, the very ones that he will punish because he hates their sins, he warns them still. And those who took the warning were blessed. And so verse 10 has the first judgment. The bricks are... Um, No, no, the first reason for judgment. The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. You see what's happening here. He, He will say very clearly that the problem that they have, well, he said it in the verse before, that say in their pride and stoutness of heart. See, they were receiving the judgments. Those battles were already happening. It wasn't from one day to the next that Assyria came and dominated. But there were some attacks in the outskirts, and those attacks kept coming closer. The prophets were saying, this is because of our sins. We need to repent. What were the people doing? They were arrogant. They were proud. This is the first reason for the judgments. And and, and look at the pride. Um, The the judgments would come. Their homes would be destroyed. They would say, that's fine. Our our homes were a brick. We're going to now make them out of hewn stone. Oh, the sycamores were broken. It doesn't matter. We're going to plant cedars. See, that's the mindset of a people who are being judged by God, but instead of looking with humility and saying, Lord, what will you have me to do? Instead, they're just being more brazen before God. It's, It's the Tower of Babel mentality. Lord, you sent a a flood. Well, we will build a tower so that next time we're prepared when you bring judgment to us. So so this is the first reason for the judgment. And if we keep on reading, we'll see the judgment itself. It says in verse 11, Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of Rezin against him and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. How are you going to hewn stone after that? How will you plant a cedar if you're devoured? So you see what's happening. So the first Reason for judgment is pride and arrogance. The first judgment is that God will cause war, conflict to come. Well, then we keep reading in, in verse 13. We, we, well, verse 12 comes our refrain. Our refrain says, and for, for all of this, anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And let me say a word about this little refrain. Um, so God is saying, see, I, I sent judgment. They just built back. Well, I'm going to send war and battle. And, and you know what they're going to do? They're, they're going to keep sinning, so, so my anger is not going to go away. 
and my hand will be stretched out still. Now, when, when I read this before I read any commentaries, I was hoping that this was what we can put together in God's Word. Okay, His anger, but His hand is at, at, stretched out still. And that might be His mercy. That might be His love. That, that was my hope as I was reading the passage. But as I read the commentaries, not a single one agreed with that. They all said this whole context is that of judgment. The reason I was hoping for that is because we do find passages like Exodus 6, 6 that says, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. See, we're familiar with phrases like that, the redemption of God in His outstretched arm. And of course, if the context is redemption, then that outstretched arm is one of care and salvation. But if the context, as it is here, it is His anger not turning away, His stretched out arm is where the thunders and the lightnings will come from. And that's where Matthew Henry, Calvin, other commentaries agreed. This, this is words of judgment. But then we have, we have now a second judgment that God will bring. He says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail. The next verse he describes that the head are the ancients and the honorable. Those would be not just the elderly people, but the governors, the princes, the lords, the nobles. And then the tail, he specifically means they are the false prophets. And, and God will destroy them. And, um, but then you go to verse 17 and it says, Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless. And he starts listing all the needy and the widows. And so in your list of judgments, the first one is wars and conflict. Secondly, the leaders will be destroyed. Thirdly, God will take away his protection from the young and the needy. Now notice this. The young are the ones whom we would like protected. And the needy are the ones who need protection. And when you think of the ancients and you think of the honorable and you think of the prophets and you think of the young and you think of the needy, basically God is saying everybody. So that's in the list of judgments. But now we come to the list of the reasons for judgments. He gave one, the arrogance. They were, with all of this, they were not going back to the Lord. But look at verse 17. Here's a second reason. It's actually a second, a third, and a fourth, all, all in a list in verse 17. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite. So that's reason number two. And an evildoer, that's sin in general. They're, they're into wickedness in general. That's reason number three. And every mouth speaketh folly. Foolish talk is reason number four. Now, it's not just because some people are sinning in these ways. What's emphatic in this verse is everyone. Everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer. And every mouth speaketh folly. It was, it was universal. It was as if 
Abraham could have prayed for five righteous men and women, and, and no one would have been found. It's, it's, it's this idea that sin is just permeating all of society. So see, those are three more reasons not for, the, for the judgment. And then comes the refrain in verse 17. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. See, there's more anger to be poured forth. There, there is no repentance. So God is just continuing his anger to the people. And then in verse 18, we find what we could call a fifth reason for judgment. But you will notice that this fifth reason coalesces with the judgment itself. He says, for wickedness burneth as the fire. So there's so much wickedness in Israel, it's like a fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. So see, he's describing the wickedness, but this wickedness is so great that it's burning like fire. And when you think of fire, and you'll see the next verse, you start thinking, well, God now is speaking of the judgment he will bring. Look at verse 19. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. And the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. Beloved, this verse 18 and 19 is both a judgment and a reason for judgment. The reason is there is so much wickedness. And you know what God is doing? He's putting his hands down and letting that wickedness take over. See, the wrath of the Lord is darkening the lands. It's their sin, but the sin is going like a wildfire, and it's the wrath of the Lord. So you see, what God is saying is, this will be another judgment. See, God can send judgment by way of war. He can send judgment by way of destroying the leaders and destroying the, the, the young people and, and leaving them unprotected. And God can also say, and all of you want to be wicked, so I will simply let you be wicked. And what will happen in this great wickedness? It will be great violence. That's why it says, no man shall spare his brother. Beloved, see when we, we understand beloved, you see how God's word is a is a documentary explaining the world we live in. When you look at the next news and you see the sheer violence, sometimes from brother to brother, from mother to children, from children to parents, that is judgment. It is judgment. And then God adds that there will be, in essence, famine. We find the vocabulary in verse 20 of famine. And then verse 21, even of civil war. That war that would be outside from the Assyrians, it's going to be now a war inside. Look at verse 20. And he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. And he shall eat on the left hand and they shall not be satisfied. That's vocabulary for famine. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. And then verse 21, the civil war idea. Manasseh, Ephraim. See, Manasseh will fight against Ephraim, and Ephraim will fight against Manasseh. And they together shall be against Judah. So yeah, it's, it's still a civil war because they too are two kingdoms, but they should be one. And then the refrain. For all this, his anger is not turned away. 
Why? See, beloved, with all of this, with all the war that came from the outside, now the war inside, now there's famine, now there's people who, 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 are, who are violent towards one another, even brethren, and are they turning to the Lord? No. See, that's the one thing that never changes. The complaint of the prophet continues from the beginning. They still don't turn. Now let's go into chapter 10. And we have um, now one more reason. Verse 10. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. Beloved, this makes me think of the laws that our land and other lands enact that are utterly against God's word. They They are decreeing unrighteous decree. See, that's a reason for judgment. Verse 2, to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people. See, there's oppression to the needy. And now you see, you're putting things together. Wasn't that part of the wickedness? Wasn't that part of what was going to happen? God was going to, going to not protect the needy any longer. And why? Because that's what they were doing. They weren't giving justice to the poor. They weren't giving righteousness to them. The, the, the widow was not being protected, but they were like prey. They were robbing the fatherless. So you see what God is doing? He's saying, is that, is that what you want to do? And then do it. It's going to burn like fire. And so look, the reasons, pride, hypocrisy, all evil, foolish talk, wickedness. What is the judgment? War, destruction of leaders, danger, all classes of people, whether you're needy or whether you're young, whether you're old, wickedness in general, famine, even civil war. And then comes the question. Beloved, this is so precious because the, the pastor doesn't have to think of how to apply this text the prophecy comes with, with an inbuilt application. Look at verse 3. And what will ye do? What will you do? And beloved, you and I aren't Israel and Judah and all that, but we're in a country. We have passions. We have hearts. We have temptations. We're in a world that is surrounded by evils just like these. The question is for you and me. What will you do? In the day of visitation, see, when, when these judgments become sore and sore, and in the desolation, look at the question, which shall come from far? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? See what the prophet is asking. So think of those people in those days. They had their pomp and they had their glory. And God is saying, where will you put it? Where will you flee for help? In verse 4, he says, without me, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. So, so the big question, beloved, and, and, and now the applications all built upon these, that we have these two points, how to have God's anger turned away. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? If, if we are in, a, in, a, in, in an element of sin and there is a judgment upon me because of that, the most dangerous thing to do is not to turn back to the Lord, but to insist in that sin, come what judgment may. 
And when that happens, you get to the point of incurring God's wrath where part of His judgment is, okay, it's not going to be sickness now. It's not going to be war. It's not going to be pestilence. It's going to be you allowed to live in your sin. And you see, in our world, they're glorying that they can live in sin. And they're not realizing that it's judgment from God. And here an important application then, beloved. You and I should then look at these, if they're being in this judgment of being allowed by God to walk in their sins so that they would suffer, we should have pity in our hearts pouring out toward them. Because they're in judgment. They're not in freedom. And we need to pray for them. And we need to pity them. But then let's take it to our own hearts. Let us be the ones who turn. Let us be the ones who say, Lord, I will not continue depending on man. I will not continue in sin. I don't want to continue listening to to false ideas, false prophecies. I don't want to continue to be proud. I want to turn to Thee. And thirdly, how God's anger has turned. See, beloved, ultimately, it's not that you and me turning to the Lord has a power to calm His anger. If you and I were to turn to the Lord with all our sins and say, okay, Lord, I I won't flee from you, but I'll come to you. But with my sins, His wrath is still there. That's why I ask how God's anger has turned. And... I read this portion, but you'll remember, I'm sure, that chapter 9 has that glorious declaration, one of the most precious in the book of Isaiah. There's so many of them. In verse 6, it said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. And beloved... I know the people of Israel only knew through parables and through prophecies, and it was somewhat veiled to them. But you and I know this Prince of Peace is the one whose hands were outstretched on the cross. And there on the cross, he received the anger of the Lord. See, the anger of the Lord was not turned away from Jesus. And his hand was stretched out still upon his own son. So that all who take cover in Jesus. See the text even asked. Who will you flee to? For help. We need to flee to Jesus. Even they had the Messiah. They could flee to that prince of peace that was promised. They they could flee to the wonderful counselor. And that's who you and I have to flee to. And and I love that phrase about our glory. Where, Where do we leave our glory? That's the idea of our honor and our respect. Well, we, we leave it at the foot of the cross. That's that's in essence a beautiful way to say that we die to ourself. We stop going our direction. 
we stop arguing with the Lord that we don't have any sins, that we don't need Him so much. We go to Him and we leave our honor, we leave our very glory upon on the foot of the cross because we in ourselves have none and He becomes our glory. Let us pray. Our gracious and glorious God, we pray, Lord, that as Thy church we may be the bearers of this message to this world so full, Lord, of sin. We plead that Thou would protect Thy church, that our young men and women, that our boys and girls, that our fathers and mothers, our grandparents, would remain steadfast, looking to Jesus, while so many in the world, Lord, are, are turning to their own defenses, as it were, against Thy wrath. Lord, there are and there have been so many judgments in the world in different times and in different seasons. Help us, Lord, to see that every war, in a sense, is a calling of people to return to Thee and to be humble and not to be proud. Help us, Lord, to improve upon these afflictions that have come upon us, that we would be a humble people, always turning to Thee. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.